You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor Marks, and joining me is some other guy. Oh, I wasn't sure you were talking about me then. I was just looking around, Are you seeing who you were looking <laughs> some at. Some other guy, yes. William, William Gallagher. Yes, I've also been known as OU, so I'll take anything, really. OU. Okay. And the moment we start talking, it begins raining really heavily here in England. That might be something to do with our current political situation. But hi, how are you? Well, I'm, I'm doing better than you guys, apparently. Although that's questionable. Let's not talk about that stuff. I'd rather talk about something else. I'd like to talk about the the intense, weird situation we have where where people are crossing crossing lines that would not have been crossed in the past, where people are reaching out across aisles and across borders and doing things that would have been unthinkable a short time ago. If you bought a Samsung phone. I have not. But I was going to talk about the Apple TV app becoming compatible with Roku set-top boxes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Um... Inconceivable. No. No, hang on. So that's Apple TV software running on Roku? Or is it, it plugging it another box? It is the Apple TV app available via the Roku Channel Store to discover and watch movies, TV shows, iTunes video library content, and subscribe to Apple TV channels directly on Roku devices. Well, I can't imagine why they brought that out two weeks ahead of the launch of Apple TV Plus. It's just Funny that you mentioned that Roku has also confirmed that Apple TV Plus will be available on the Roku platform. Okay, I'm, I'm gasping. Yeah, I'm not going to rush out and buy a Roku uh, box, but that's because I've seen what they look like. Um, are you a Roku Roku fan? N- not. I have I have owned some of their products in the past. In fact, I own the original one from way back, before there was such a thing as an Apple TV. But um, no, actually, I think the Apple TV might have been first. But in any case, I have the first of both of those things. But in addition to the United States, the Apple TV app is available to Roku users in Argentina, Canada. Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, El Salvador, France, Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico, Nicaragua, Panama, Peru, the Republic of Ireland, and some other backwater country. We're not trying to pad out this episode at all. I just wanted to name every single country that mattered and then also the United Kingdom. Okay. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Write that in. You're welcome. Okay. But thank you for doing it in alphabetical order. The UK at least lends itself to coming at the end of lists uh, alphabetically as punchlines. So, you know, we thought ahead. Well done. Hang on. US is after the UK. No. Oh. Okay. <sighs> right. In priority order. So, with the Apple TV coming to Roku, Roku's customers are going to enjoy even a broader range of exciting entertainment, including the highly anticipated Apple TV Plus service. I agree with that statement. That was uh, that was mm. their general manager of platform business, Scott Rosenberg. So Roku is a valuable partner for content providers looking to reach a large and engaged audience, and they're happy to bring this option to Roku users. Basically, you add this channel the same way you would to any other Roku device. You press the home button on your Roku remote, you scroll up or down and select streaming store channels or open the channel store, you search the channels, and you start typing Apple TV, and it should pop up. 
It's funny, when you start listing steps like that, it, no matter what you're talking about, it always sounds really involved, and you know it's quicker to it's do than it is It's 10 seconds. I mean, you yeah. press the home button. Yes, we know. Go to the streaming channels or open the channel store. Yep. Search channels. Okay. Right? None of this is incredibly complex, and it shouldn't be. And step five, never look back. Well, so I think that's what there. There are a number of compatible devices, and I think it's interesting to note that you know the devices you'd expect, right? Roku Express, Express Plus, the Streaming Stick, the Streaming Stick Plus, the Premiere Plus, the Ultra, right? All of those things sound good, but Roku Two seems to be supported, and that's pretty far back. And also, there are smart sound bars, which are supported, which I think is pretty cool. Sorry, a soundbar is supporting Apple TV. Well, think of it like this. Imagine you had an Apple TV that also had speakers built into it. What an amazing way to it listen had, to the new drama, see. Yeah, very good one. Well done. Um, see, of course, being the drama about unsighted people. But uh, Yeah, my version would be a lot cheaper than Apple's. Right, but, but okay. uh, yes. <laughs> to produce for sure. But yeah, so if you had a speaker that also was an Apple TV or an Apple TV that also had speakers built into it and had an HDMI output that could then connect to a display, that's kind of what this Roku soundbar is. It's a soundbar that also has HDMI output to play the video onto a TV. Sounds good. Yeah, kind of convenient. I remember when we plugged our TV set into the HomePod to see what it sounded like, Strictly Come Dancing sounded so much richer and fuller. You didn't plug the TV into the HomePod, though, because the HomePod doesn't have plugs. Oh, do you only have the old version? You're terrible. You are yeah, awful. So Roku, basically, Roku's happy. Let's talk about Netflix. Netflix okay. sent a letter to their investors and said that they're happy. They said new entrants into the streaming space, including Apple TV+, will help accelerate what it believes will be an inevitable shift away from traditional linear television. They're saying competition is nothing new. They've had Amazon, Hulu, and YouTube vying for attention for more than a decade. This doesn't matter. In our view, Apple TV is going to be Apple TV Plus is going to be great. That that they're well suited to take on newcomers like this. Um, this is Netflix's version of Welcome IBM. Seriously, isn't pretty it? much. Okay. Although, what else would they do? I mean, you, you know that. Every time companies have sent out things like that, in the background, it means they're taking this very seriously, right? If we read between the lines and, and you know, in our view, the likely outcome from the launch of these services will be to accelerate the shift from linear TV to demand consumption of entertainment, Netflix said, right? What's, what's reading between the lines on that? In our view, yeah, it's getting rid of linear television, but it's not coming to us necessarily. You know, they, they say no upstart delivers the same level of diversity and quality offered through its catalog. Well, you say that, but Disney Plus has the Disney Vault, which they have used to great success in the past, right? You know, they, they used to run telecommercials yes. saying, we're opening the Disney Vault and we're releasing for a limited time only this version of Sleeping Beauty. And then we'll close the vault and put it away and you won't be able to get it again. And so they've sold VHS tapes based on this. And they've sold DVDs based on this. And then they've sold Blu-rays based on this. And every time they do it, it's a big thing for them. And so now they're going to put them on streaming service. You think... Which is obviously big, but it also means they can't do this vault thing 
any moment. Well, they can a little bit, right? They, they can decide when something's going to be available and not, so they can make it available on their streaming service for a limited time only, should they choose. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the three-hour montage promo on YouTube? I did not. No, 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 nor did I, no. Of course not. Just an hour. Yeah. Or so. Right. So... These services, including uh, Peacock, NBC's, and HBO Max, uh, all have great titles, Netflix says, but none have the variety, diversity, and quality of the new original program that we're producing around the world, they said. Um, I am unconvinced. I know they're positioning themselves that way, but I am, I am unconvinced. Now, of course, Netflix beat Wall Street expectations for their most recent quarter. They, uh, they pulled in... 1.47 against estimates of 1.04 in terms of earnings per share. So they did they did better than they had said. Um, but revenues of 5.4 5.24 billion did not meet expectations of 5.25 billion, and subscriptions fell. They they've got 517,000 domestic subscriptions additions, and that was they were expecting to grow by 802,000 instead. Hmm. That's quite a difference. Yeah. yeah. Apple TV Plus is said to launch November 1st for $4.99 a month. Although people who are like me and purchased a fantastically cool iPhone 11 or other qualifying hardware like an iPad or iPod or something like that are going to enjoy one free year of service. I'm wondering what happens next year when you buy the next phone. But that's another thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a good question. I would like for them to start doing this. If you buy the phone, you get the service kind of thing rolled in. Because they're they're not, I mean, well, they're going to count the income from it. They're also going to be uh, talking about number of subscribers added. That's the metric that that gets used here, right? And so if they just go ahead and grant that for free to people who buy the hardware, then they can boost their subscriber numbers. Yeah, by a considerable amount. Right. Yes. And and of course there's some of that been going on already. Carriers, for example, have deals to give away Apple Music subscriptions if you have this plan, right? If you have if you have T-Mobile, they do it with no cost on the data streaming. If you have Verizon, depending on the plan that you get, you can have free Apple Music for the year. So it makes sense to have these kinds of things in place. Yeah, sorry, my mind just went back a second there to the fact that it sounds to me as if Disney Plus is a, a remarkable offering. But of course, I'm in the UK and we're just about the only country that isn't getting it for some reason. Well, it's, well I say that, it's because of the deals they've already got in I place mean, between Sky and... Things. Disney Plus. Is Disney Plus a remarkable offering? Well, there are some great properties that Disney owns. Disney owns the Marvel Cinematic Universe, with the exception of Spider-Man. Because Sony. Disney okay. Disney owns... Lucasfilm. So all of Star Wars. Good. Right? Disney Disney has a ton of cool things going on there, including all of the Disney Classic Library. What else does Disney have? Uh, don't they have ABC television and Touchstone Productions, makers of things I like, like um, Aaron Sorkin's Sports Night yeah, and yeah. various things? Um, no, I'm not sure. Imagine. Well, I think... Uh, not the other thing is that, that there was a long period where Disney had things that weren't that great. You know, Disney was was suffering before Pixar came back and did the deal to distribute through Disney and then later get purchased by Disney. And 
you know there there were there were some great movies like um, Little Mermaid and um, Aladdin, and then there were some direct to video movies like Little Mermaid Two and Little Mermaid Three and Little Mermaid Four, and mm-hmm. you know other things that weren't successful like Hercules, right? There there's a whole period of Disney stuff that was pretty bad, uh, and and before those things that sort of spawned a resurgence in, in Disney in the, let's say, 90s, there were a bunch of live-action movies that were not good in the 70s. Um, and so all of that stuff is a part of Disney's catalog that could be on Disney+. Plus. So they could have a ton of terrible stuff and a little bit of good stuff. Yeah. But there's some dreadful films I want to see again. The world's Greatest Athlete, I think it was called. I seem to remember enjoying that when I was very, very little. I want to see how bad it really was. Is that just rotten? It is. Okay. I mean, Return to Witch Mountain, Return from Witch Mountain and Escape to Witch Mountain. Right? Oh, I tell you, uh, I'd forgotten about those. I I had an age-appropriate crush on... um, Tia in Kim Richards. Uh, Escape to Witch Mountain. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I saw the sequel, actually. But yeah, good God. That's it. Oh, and I can't have it. Thanks for, you know, bringing Teasing this. that and uh, pulling it oh. away. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, give me a moment. I'll be okay. Try to work out how old I was when I saw that film. Okay. Anyway, so, okay, but the thing is, still, Disney has uh, this instant giant catalogue. Apple uh, very much does building not. building a catalogue. Uh, yeah, but they're not acquiring anything. It's going to be a slow thing. I was very uh, pleased by the uh, news that Apple was giving second season orders uh, to things before shows have started airing. Um, yeah, because they've got to, and it just... Well, and they know what they have faith in. Confidence. Yeah, but you never know. Nobody ever knows until something airs. So they could, the morning show could still bomb. And I, I mean, I don't think it will, but it everything can. So it's always a risky investment. Um, television's insane like that. Yeah. But you know, they they understand these things in terms of just as much as they understand products, right? And and whether or not a product will bomb before they launch it, and. No, they really, really do not. You cannot determine whether something is even likely to be a success. I mean, you can put money behind it. You can bet. Look, but the most huge things have died a death. How many shows get allow me, in September? Allow me to, to just speak for one moment on this. And, and let me explain okay. my position. Because I know that you as a writer and as a, as a person who's worked in radio and television have, have a perspective. But let me, let me explain this. When Apple designs a product a hardware product, let's say. They understand that they are trying to solve a problem that people have, and it may not be a problem that people are aware that they have until they say, here's a solution, and people go, oh yeah, I deal with that every day and it sucks. And, and visual voicemail is one of those kinds of things, right? When I had, when I had the, saw the first iPhone keynote, I knew immediately that's why I wanted this phone. And for other people, there were other reasons, but that was very apparent to me. Right, and when Apple talks about talked about iMovie, you know, iMovie for them solved a technical problem, which is hard drives are growing, and we need to figure out how we're going to fill hard drives so we can therefore sell computers with bigger hard drives for more money. And from the user perspective, what the answer was was 
we're going to go ahead and create this thing so that instead of having your home movies on film or on videotapes that you never watch, you'll be able to edit them out and it'll be a crap removal tool and you can go ahead and make your home movies watchable. And then iDVD will help you burn them and distribute them and iPhoto will manage your photo libraries and, and it'll be your digital life, right? They were solving problems that people weren't even necessarily sure that they needed solved until they saw them and went, oh yeah, that's me. And with entertainment... It's not exactly yeah, a problem. What problem is Dickinson supposed to solve? But it's, well... And for how many people is Dickinson supposed to solve it? What problem have I got that I don't know? That you need that Dickinson, a modern... I'm very much looking forward to. Will modern solve. language period piece with that, that, that's not historically based on anything at all. Um, solve. Well, if you like period pieces and you want something that's easily digestible, that's kind of fluff without having to think too hard and yet might be fun. Well, we Do you don't like know cotton candy? Stuff. Let's be careful to say it. Uh, I don't know what problem cotton candy has I managed think to solve in my life. I, well, it's, it's fast, simple, sugar, and delight. And it's like clouds on your tongue. That's cotton candy. It's fun and meaningless and completely without any nutritional value. And I think Dickinson is and about the problem? same. So, what problem is it supposed to solve? It's pleasure. This just doesn't it's pleasurable. Compare. That's it. And people need pleasure in their lives. How does that compare to uh, ability to record home movies and edit it, which is an, an activity? Providing pleasure a as the result. Yes, making it easy to make things watchable and make them enjoyable again. Not quite the same level. So, how is each one of Dickinson these shows going fits to in someone's more than for all mankind? How do I look at those two shows and decide that one's going to be the hit because that one solves a problem? Who is the audience for that? Who has that hole in their lives that needs to be filled by that 40-minute segment of video? Who's going to take pleasure from that? And how exactly do you expect Apple to know that? And how exactly do you account for gigantic films failing? Why were the Star Wars prequels so badly received uh, when everything about them is exactly what everybody wanted. No, no, so no, they no. They, they, well, first of all, because they didn't succeed, we can draw the conclusion that they were not exactly what everyone wanted. Second of all, they, they fail, the prequels failed because they spent more time on artificial characters and, and things like that and changing the mythology of the the way that the force worked, the way okay, that the characters worked. Let's work. go back to the first. It basically Star Wars broke film. people's impression. What of that. problem did that solve? That solved the the problem that in the seventies, cowboy movies were pretty much kind of gone, and you needed an epic story, and there were no epic stories back at that being produced at that time. So this was a fun cowboy movie in space adventure, and it filled that so missing Fox adventure gap. Spread there weren't any. The load. Why isn't 20th Century Fox think we've got it? This is what we needed. There's a problem. This will solve it. And instead, they were pretty desperately trying to uh, get, save themselves from potential losses. Nobody well, knows, which is some of the famous quotes. We do know that, that until the the last edits were made on it, that movie was in in great danger of not telling the story well. It was it was falling apart in shooting and Lucas was was having nightmares and Spielberg was trying to help him figure it out and it was Lucas's wife who edited the thing back into a sensible story. Well, there were three editors, but Marcia Lucas was absolutely fundamental to it, yes. Except I don't understand, uh, you're saying 
Uh, in advance, people knew there was going to be a problem that this film would solve, and then they solved it. Uh, no, they don't. Well, they don't know that. You cannot it's, know It's that. not quite as smooth as all that, but, but obviously they accepted the pitch. Yes, and then found the budget and they were committed to it. And we're talking specifically about Fox, but why didn't Paramount take it originally or Universal? Uh, why was Fox the only firm? Because, why because Fox, there's a great hesitance. There's a great, great hesitance, both in product and in film, where there are people who want to only do the thing that's already been done and proved successful by someone else and maybe do it a slightly bit different or a slightly bit better. Right there. Let me let me say this. When Inception came out years ago, Inception was a fantastic film. It was and it was in many ways a risk because it was a sci-fi film at a time when people thought sci-fi had been done and they needed to take a break from sci-fi films and weren't going to have any for a while. And people thought, oh my gosh, because Inception was so successful, this means we'll get more sci-fi films. But the answer was no. That that the, the studios retreated to only accepting safe pitches again. So you're saying that the studios who make all of these films uh, decided what was needed and were wrong? Happens. Okay. Yeah, this is my point. It always happens. It cannot fail. Well, so the, the, the thing that happens is Apple people try and play it safe. With and playing it safe is not Every necessarily... show on Apple TV Plus could die a death on the first night. I don't think it will, but it is, of course, possible. So anytime you get a second run of something, it is a gamble. There are lots of shows that actually, behind the scenes, got a two-season order as part of their original commitment, and the studio's badly regretted it later. Oh, yeah. Um, there are just too many and times... And there are shows that get cancelled after their knows. fifth episode. There are shows that go away yeah. very, very soon. But nothing... What's the show where the producer said their ratings were so bad he was cancelled uh, in the ad break in the first episode? Yeah. So, yes. But nothing yeah. good happens without taking a risk. But you cannot have both ways. You cannot tell me that it's a risk They're, and that Apple knows what will they go. Are it's one calculated the risks. Actually, they are calculated risks. So, which way do you want to pull this? That it's a risk or that they know? I just Telling me it's calculated, it feels like you're trying to sit in the middle of two no, things. No, obviously together. they're and not it's... going to go ahead and throw all this money unless they've done things to balance it in their favor. And part of that is by the talent they attract, and part of it is by the story they want to tell. And, you know, we saw reports as they were going through this about the different stories and how there were problems with the morning show or there were problems with the amazing stories and and things like this and that's partly because they were trying to make sure that they knew that they were targeting who they wanted to target and that they could try and balance it in their favor and the makers of Sunnyside, for example which i think was if not the first show cancelled this season was well up there um they didn't uh, think about who it was going to be aimed at or for. How many shows uh, that's premiered to big publicity in September in the States will not make it to January and will have a mid-season replacement? And actually, the number is fewer than it used to be because there are fewer new shows on network TV. Mm. I think we've worn the subject out. I, I think we've, we've, we've riled you we up, have, we've got you excited, we've, got, we've worn us out. Okay. Right. What, what, what can I say? I... Launching every product is a risk, right? Launching the Apple Watch yes. was a risk. Clearly, it's been a successful yes, I product. Feel like you're trying to argue my side of it. Yes, it has. Yes, and, and I they, really seriously hope Apple TV Plus is because I think some of those programs look great. I'm really looking forward to them. Good. I just, I know you don't know. All right. 
a couple episodes back, you and I talked about airdrop and ultra wideband. Yes, you were explaining to me how that would uh, be the start of much bigger things. Well, um, curiously, Malcolm Owen wrote about a patent application that was published on the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office site, where Apple's filing for electronic devices with motion sensing and angle of arrival detection circuitry. So, basically, they're trying to determine, they're, they're covering how a system can determine the angle of arrival of signals transmitted by a nearby device, which means directionality which means things like finding lost items, means taking into account user motion. It means factoring all of this in so it can locate an item in 3D space. They can also tell which way the iPhone is holding is being held, so and which way it's oriented relative to a nearby device. Astounding. Okay. Well, it's mo- it sounds astounding. I'm very conscious of the last couple of weeks... Uh, I was standing up in an archive for six hours, motionless, for scanning about a thousand documents. And at some point through, my watch decided to tell me I'd achieved my motion goal. So I'm not convinced, well, but let me, uh, I let like me the sound of it. say a little bit of this. Besides finding lost items, which is easily understandable, what is the point of being able, what could you do, for example, if you had iPhones that were aware of how they were arranged with other devices? End to end, okay, side by yeah. side, whatever. Right. I'm sorry. I'm suddenly picturing those videos you had with a dozen iPads together, all knowing where they all were and stuff. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, so if you had a dozen okay, iPads intrigued. laid out in a rectangle on a table and they all knew where they were in relation to each other, then you could use them as a multi-iPad display. And, and just like we used to have walls of TVs and shops playing videos, you could have all the iPads automatically know how they were oriented and have the video play correctly on them in slices, right? sliced up between all the screens, you could do something like that. Not that that's an important action, but it's certainly possible with something like this where the device knows how it is in relation to other devices. Hmm. I'm picturing drinks coasters that know where they are. <laughs> okay, so. Nice. Um, but it can also be used to determine the location of other devices for data transfer. Right, you could you can uh, you could okay. locate the other device with ultra wideband and then perform the data transfer over Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, which is a lot like AirDrop, except instead of using Bluetooth or Wi-Fi to advertise over AirDrop, which leads you open to all kinds of attacks, ultra wideband would be one way of advertising. It's mm, true. You know, and one okay. of the things that I think about is ultra wideband on a much larger scale, right? If ultra-wideband were a part of HomeKit, then you'd know where you were with inside the home and, and have your phone switched to the appropriate room or things like this. But furthermore, you know, we saw this a little bit with, with Amazon's sidewalk system where they're talking about using it to be able to, to locate pets and, and keep things like that inside. Fence in pets, locate pets in the world. Well, if you can do that with ultra-wideband, which is kind of where Sidewalk is going anyway, then you can create smart cities where it's easy to locate people's devices and ergo themselves within the whole city. Okay, that took a sudden turn into Didn't civil... It. Didn't it, though? <laughs> okay. All right. Excellent. Good. Technology. That's what we, that's what we want. Well, if you want technology, let me tell you about the A13. Okay, that's a road out of Swinford, I think. It is, it is, but it's also the name of the processor inside the iPhone 11. So, 
I get mixed up actually when Apple doesn't doesn't add things like Bionic on the Bionic end. Fusion, so, what you name it. I don't know. But anyway, okay. so TSMC, maker of chips, right? They're they're saying yes. that they're noting that 5G smartphone growth momentum is stronger than they expected and that they have good reason to believe that they're going to increase their their capex this year and next year. So they reported a 13.5% rise in third quarter net profits. So their revenue is up um, 10.7%. Their revenue is up to 9.4 billion now. Is it just me or to look up what the word capex meant? I've never heard it before. Capital expenditure. Yeah. How much they're going to yep. spend? Okay. I like quite like capex. Sounds like a yeah, totally. it doesn't yeah. sound like a superior. So player. now yeah. obviously iPhones aren't 5G yet. But what they're seeing is is they're able to forecast about it because the, the rumor is that the next generation of iPhone will have 5G. <gasps> so Sorry. TSMC, yes. chipmaker, is investing up to $5 billion extra ahead of those forecasts. Yes. So it's one of those things where the numbers are just unimaginable. Uh, can you imagine sitting there thinking, do you know, I think we could spend an extra $5 bill here and it'll work out. Mm -hmm. okay. And it will. <laughs> Yes, it will. It will. <laughs> it totally will. Isn't there an interesting thing that, that um, uh, sorry, you know this stuff so much better than me, that Apple is going to do its own 5G. Later, 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 later. So is, is that actually going to help TSMC? Remember Qualcomm? Because will it be, I, I've heard yeah. of them. Yeah, so, so we settled this whole Qualcomm fight. Apple and Qualcomm made up. And so... The the it's it's very likely that Apple use Qualcomm's modems for five G in twenty twenty. Twenty twenty two is when we sort of expect to see Apple develop their own and release their own five G. But presumably that means uh, releasing it in the same way they do the A thirteen Bionic thingy, which is designing it but having someone like TSMC yep. if I've got those letters the right way around mm -hmm. doing it. So, uh. TSMC is is sitting pretty well. They they are for processors for sure. Whether they're doing that as part of the five G or they're just talking about the demand for five G phones, and therefore the demand for processors to fit in those phones, is another thing. I, we've gone through this in the past with all the different suppliers for the different parts. Who's doing the the flexible printed circuit card kind of thing? Who's doing the antenna mm. and stuff like that in the past? But um, suffice to say, TSMC is pretty happy. Well, that's nice. That's a bit of good news. It is. Then, it is. It? Because I've worried about them. You know, they look so down. But. I want to talk for a moment about uh, Taylor Store. So, uh, the idea that that ready-made garments and off-the-rack sizes have no place in the modern world is is sort of the basis for Taylor Store, right? They believe in embracing individualism with a new way to purchase clothing. Clothes that are made to order and tailored precisely to your measurements. And that makes a lot of sense to me because we, are, we aren't all sized exactly the same. Humans are different shapes and sizes and all kinds of things, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what you're getting well, at. Well, what okay, I'm getting yeah, at so. is, is just this notion that you'd go into a, a shop and buy something that's marked a size and, and have it fit right is kind of a weird notion. Right? It makes sense for mass production in the old days. So thinking back to this, right, in the old country, if you will, um, 100 years ago, everything was bespoke. 
you wanted a shirt, it was made. It was sewed for you, right? You wanted you wanted a suit, it was made for you. And then suddenly along the way, we got this in, into this mass production and things like this, and it, it became in vogue to buy things in sizes. It was more affordable, and, and it was posh because you were going into a shop instead of having to wait for something to be made. Lots of things like that. And I think we're sort of turning that around now. So so this this 120-year-old's way is coming back, but with technology powering it, right? Instead of, of walking into a shop, picking something off a rack and walking out with it and saying, well, that's good enough. Well, it kind of fits right. You know, you can actually have something that fits the way it should. So Taylor Store has fully customizable dress shirts that start at $59 with options and options and options to choose from for men and women. And they make it super easy to get your measurements because this is the thing is no one knows their measurements, right? Mm. And you could pull out a oh, tape yeah. measure and try and get it right. But who says you're measuring correctly and all this stuff? Nonsense. Taylor Store has an app and their app is called Size Me. And you put it on your phone and you balance your phone in the corner of the wall. And then you go and stand back in the outline of the person on the camera and it takes the pictures. And then it tells you to turn and it tells you to take another picture. And so between two pictures, a side profile and a front facing photo – they determine your sizes. They get your personal measurements. And it takes like seconds. Does that mean they tell somebody my, my measurements? Well, only in order to make clothing for you, which is kind of a necessary necessary thing. Okay. Right? Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, I mean, they aren't sharing it on Facebook. They're just sharing it with the seamstress or a seamster. Okay. They have a perfect fit guarantee, and it's really generous. So basically, if the shirt doesn't fit as you'd like it to, they remake it. And they don't care about returns. If, if you get a shirt and it's not sized right, you get to keep the faulty shirt. Or give it to charity or something like that. Oh, okay. Right, that makes sense. I mean, that, then yes, I agree. That's generous. Yeah. That's very good. And they are a 100% carbon neutral business. They're committed to making the world a fairer and a better place. And it's really great. So I did this. I got the app. I downloaded it. I went ahead, and I spent... I got way too involved in picking out options for the shirt because they just have so many cool options. And I picked out all the options that I wanted and I submitted it. And the next thing you know, like a few days passed and I had a photograph of someone in Sri Lanka sewing my shirt. And, okay. and then a few days later, I had a FedEx notification that my shirt was being shipped. And just like that. And so it went from app to me spending way too much time in a website because I loved all the choices. And then next thing you know, I got a shirt and it's fantastic. And you can get your very own made to measure dress shirt today at taylorstore.com slash Apple Insider. New, comp- new customers, that's you, will get their first dress shirt starting only at $39. That's 50% off the regular pricing plus free shipping with the code Apple Insider. So that's taylorstore.com slash Apple Insider with the promo code Apple Insider. See, William, now you've got no excuse to go out looking the way you do. Seriously, I was having such a lovely time. <sighs> okay. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Google. Anything else you want to? I've, I've finally got my hair cut. Does that Congratulations. Uh, I'm so glad for that. Thank yes. you. Thank you. It's been a while. Bit busy. That's why. Got that a little was. long there. Yeah, it was, actually, surprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> Google made a number of other announcements. They had an event on Tuesday. Do you hear about this? 
Yes. I'm trying to think. It was Pixel 4. Pixel 4. Um, AirPods 2. No, no. Pixel Buds. Pixel know, Buds like 2. Pixel Buds, sorry. Ah, oh, well, near enough. Buddy, it was Pixel Buds. Yes. Okay, I will remember that now because of the way you've said yeah. that. Um, they sound like everybody else's uh, buds, or have I missed something? Well, I mean, they're, they're, of course, Google Assistant in the earbud kind of thing. And they fit in the ear. They're a little less uh, attention-getting than Microsoft's Surface Buds, which look ginormous, yeah. like platters inside your ears. Um, the Pixel Buds are, are meant to, to do the things that they've always done before, right? Which was translation, which was the Google Assistant in your ear kind of thing. And... I've forgotten about the translation. That is impressive. Yeah. Yes. Well, maybe they'll do it a little bit better this time. We're still waiting to find out. the The first version wasn't that great. Oh. Well. Yeah. Pixel Four, which of course has a three lens camera, arranged in a square, feels kind of familiar. Mm, I can't place it. No. no. Have we seen that before? I don't know. Some my company. Yeah. yeah. The. Other things that you should know about are Nest Wi-Fi, Nest Mini, and Pixelbook Go. So Nest Mini is an update to the Google Home Mini. Basically, they, they've updated the speakers, they've updated the audio, they've got double the bass as the original model, and they have some audio tuning software to try and produce a full clear sound at all volume levels, regardless of the content. So they're, they're keeping that very small package but trying to make it sound like a bigger speaker. Okay. Sounds interesting. They've added proximity sensors to detect the user's hand. So when you wave your hand at it, it'll light up areas where you can tap to adjust volume. In the past, you just had to say, hey, Google, hey, Google volume up or hey, Google volume down kind of thing. Of course, the bigger one, the, the Google Home that wasn't the mini, you could touch on at a touch surface. The microphone has been updated to handle noisy environments better, and, and the volume of the device changes dynamically based on the background noise level. I'm not sure exactly how that means. Does it mean it gets louder if there's background noise or if it lowers if there's background noise? Mm. not sure which one you'd do. It probably gets louder. A new dedicated machine learning chip included in the Google Home Mini offers up to one teraops of processing power, meaning some Google Assistant queries are handled locally instead of on Google servers with the mini learning common commands and processing them faster. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. That's okay. that's kind of cool. Of course, my uses for Google Home Mini are pretty limited, and so my uses probably would not be local. I, I have uh, some home automation stuff that only talks to Google that isn't HomeKit yet, and so I use it to turn on the light and turn on the ceiling fan and adjust speed kind of thing. And because that's a Wi-Fi connected device, it's probably going up to a server and then coming back down for that command. Okay. Well, I'm so shocked that you can bear that delay. I, I really can't. I keep working on getting it to be HomeKit compatible, but it hasn't happened yet. I will let you know okay. as soon as it does. Basically, what's important to know here is that they've updated the Nest Mini to try, and they, they've renamed it Nest Mini. It's it was Google Home Mini, now it's Nest Mini. They've retired the whole works with Nest program, so anything that was works with Nest now is going to have to be working with Google Home and Assistant. Um, 
So are they trying to get rid of the word nest? Well, you think that, except I think that what they're place. doing is just moving it over to be uh, Google Home. Out of the way? Yeah, Google Home stuff got renamed Nest. Okay. But they've they've they're trying to do some interesting things to make the speakers sound better, to give double the bass, to give better proprietary microphone handling. They're they're doing some interesting things there, and the device pricing has stayed the same. It's pre order and costs forty nine dollars. It'll ship October twenty second. So that's oh, that's really close actually. Isn't very it? close. Yeah, I'm used to these things. Most things are being announced at the moment seem to be saying next year or even the year after. Uh, so this one is practically. Yeah. Right now. Right now, with better speakers, better audio. And because they're using Chromecast audio as a part of that, it could be easily whole house audio. If you put one of these in every room, you would have speakers everywhere kind of thing. And you could group them and do all that kind of stuff. So 49 bucks compared to what's a HomePod cost now? Is it 250 or 350? I think it's 250. Yeah. Can't remember. And, and, of course, the HomePod has a lot more going on in it and has a lot better speakers. But this thing sounds better than it has. It's it's kind of... Sorry, it sounds better than it was... Previously. it was yeah. before, or better than a... Right, yeah. okay, because I really love the sound of my Oh, HomePod, I believe it, so. and I'm sure you do. But, uh, yeah. you know, having, having a smattering of these around would be a fast and easy way to get whole house audio. I still want to try having two... HomePods together. Uh, everyone who is says that it's a remarkable difference, uh, but that would mean getting a second HomePod. And if I did, I'd probably put one in the living room, and then the whole thing would fall apart. I'd have to get three HomePods, I, and the next thing you know, I wanted to use yeah. them with Apple TV as the speakers, but the problem is, and I've tried this with other AirPlay two speakers, is that it seems like you have to repair to them, reconnect to them all the time. You know, your, your Apple TV goes to sleep. You wake it up. Oh, you got to go and reestablish its connection back to the AirPlay 2 speakers for the audio. I didn't have that. I mean, I only had it on the HomePod for a couple of weeks over Christmas, Apple TV, but I don't remember reconnecting at all mm. for it. Hmm. Seem to remember once it got out of sync, sync somewhere. Yeah. But, yeah. Here's something that's important for those of us in education, right? The high-performance Pixelbook Go. So the Pixelbook traditionally is a very, very expensive kind of thing and has been a super capable laptop. You know, they've, they've Pixelbooks have been like Google's Chromebook history has been, here's a Chromebook, and by the way, it's $1,300, and it's got the very best of everything. And that's a nice thing because it sort of shows what can be done with a Chromebook, but they're really expensive. And so this time around, Pixelbook Go is sort of in this this iPod Airish kind of world, right? It's 13 millimeters thick. It weighs two pounds, which is about the same as a MacBook Air. It's got a 13.3 inch touchscreen, like a MacBook Air 13 inch. It's got a quiet keyboard with hush keys. It's a, a grippable case design. Has 12 hours of battery life, with two hours provided after just 20 minutes of charging, and it starts at 6.49. And it's got everything okay. from an Intel Core M3, Core i5, Core i7, 8 gig or 16 gig of RAM, and between 64 and 256 gig of storage with either full HD or 4K displays. So that is a, a super broad range of, of uh, specs and a super broad range of pricing, I suppose. But what's cool about that is that it's definitely not a crippled Chromebook. It is a, a real Chromebook, and starting at 649 that puts it into the high end of what a Chromebook is for the rest of the market, 
but right there in the middle around where a lot of PC laptops are. Do you know if they do them in blue? Do I know if they do one in blue? I do not. Well, there you go. This The one specification I cared about. You, you want know, it in blue? No, fine, fine. Yes, of course. i got a color coordinate. I guess. Yeah, it's important. All right. So Google is doing Wi-Fi again. In the past, they've done Google Wi-Fi. And before that, they had the um, the OnHub, the Google OnHub Wi-Fi. So now there's Nest Wi-Fi. Mm. Nest Wi-Fi is two separate routers. One plugs into the home modem, and then the other unit is a repeater. And basically, they are twice the speed and 25% better coverage than Google Wi-Fi which tells me they're using tri-band radios instead of the dual-band radios that were in Google Wi-Fi. Those devils. They've got, they added a, must have added a third radio, and they're doing uh, better antennae to get that better coverage. A two-pack is covering 3,800 square feet, and more units expand the coverage further. You set up with Google Home app, as you would with anything else from this stuff, and share a guest Wi-Fi password with visitors. You can prioritize devices. And the Nest Wi-Fi point also functions as a Nest Mini with the built-in speaker accessing Google Assistant. So that's kind of cool. It's a shame that it feels like it's it's all or nothing. I'm, I mean, most of this, it, it interests me intellectually, but I'm not going to go out and buy tons of this stuff because I've got HomeKit. Um, I'm kind of wedded to the Apple ecosystem, and I really like macOS and iOS, so I'm not going to swap off to... Everything it's else. not all or nothing. Why you can totally use. You can use this with an iPhone. Yeah. yeah. Really. Yeah. Have you tried today? Yeah. Okay. I think whichever walled garden you get to first, you're happy well, with. Uh, I'm very fed up with uh, Office and Google. I mean, you can use uh, this as just a Wi-Fi base, and all you have to do is use the Google Home app to set it up. You don't have to use Google Assistant, although it's there. You you could carry on very happily using it as just a really good Wi-Fi system. Okay. It's not like mm. it's a walled garden that you have to commit to. It, it You just don't have to commit at all the levels. Okay, but once they've got you a little bit... Not really. Way. Some people, okay. sure, you know, there, there are some people. But that's how all of this stuff starts, right? You have one piece, and then you go get the other thing that works with it. Like, a lot of people start with a Google Home Mini, and then get a Chromecast. Or, but you can or stop any time buy a like. wall outlet You're control. You're just Google Homing to be, um, uh, what's the phrase, to fit in. Um, okay, to be sociable, that's the phrase. You just Google to sociable, mm. be sociable. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Now, you know Apple Arcade, right? Yes. Okay. Google's got their own version of a game streaming service that's going to open up to users on November 19th. I'm truly shocked. It's called okay. Google Stadia, uh, and there's Stadia and Stadia Pro. Naturally. And they have okay. a game controller called the Stadia Controller. Okay. Works with a Chromecast right. Ultra, so you can cast your video from your device with your games to the uh, TV. Kind of like you would with an Apple TV. No, hang on. Sorry, I I haven't used that. Apple Arcade is on my Apple TV right, right. waiting for me to so, try it. So if you were using uh, Google so Stadia, how would you get it to the TV? You'd use a Chromecast Ultra. Okay, so I can't just have... I can't just buy this service. I have to buy a Chromecast Ultra, Ultra I mean, to you do. could. You don't necessarily have to, but it's, it's a good way to get it to the TV. Okay. 
given that I haven't even clicked on Apple Arcade on my Apple TV, uh, I personally am unlikely to go down this route, but I could see the appeal yep. to yep. others. Yes. All right. So this one's big news for Americans. The FCC approved the merger between T-Mobile and Sprint. Oh, no, I didn't know this. So that's, that's been hanging over for quite a while. Okay. So and, uh, what are the conditions? I seem to remember. Yeah. So the, uh-huh. the conditions uh, were that they had to sell off and, and help establish Dish Network as a potential fourth carrier. Oh, yeah. So, so basically, Sprint and T-Mobile could merge, but they had to get rid of Dish, and Dish had to, they had to support Dish becoming a fourth carrier. Okay. I remember you telling me about this now. It seemed intriguing. It's going to be an interesting thing to merge because Sprint and T-Mobile's technologies are very different, right? Um, first of all, they operate on different frequencies. Second of all... Uh, Sprint historically was was like Verizon, a CDMA-based network kind of thing, versus the GSM-based that um, that T-Mobile has been. Of course, now that everyone's doing LTE, it's it's a little bit better than that. But it's still going to be interesting to see how they integrate with with big mergers like this, with huge corporate mergers like this. I usually want to say that wait a year to two years minimum, just because that's how long it takes for them to shake out all of the bureaucracy and the separate systems and actually merge. Okay. It's going to be a big thing. But a great thing. Not well, no? depends, right? Well, the the problem with both T-Mobile and Sprint is their lack of service map. Their lack of good coverage. And they'll tell you, "Oh yeah, no, we've got service everywhere. It's fantastic." But I will tell you that there are plenty of places where they don't. And and that's what AT&T and Verizon still rule at is nationwide coverage. And T-Mobile does a great job on on their billing story, where where their story has been pretty much uh, what you see for in the bill is what you pay kind of thing, and you know they give you free access to streaming services. They don't charge you data consumption for that. Sprint's has been buy a phone and you never have to buy a phone again. You basically upgrade for life. Buy an iPhone with upgrades for life has been their pitch, and so there are some great things that they're doing. But unless you live in a region where it works well. It's, it's likely to not work well. And so their merger will only help. Um, and it will also, it comes at the right time because 5G rollout is going to have to start happening. So it's a good opportunity for them to upgrade all their stuff anyway to something unified. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, iTunes, uh, uh, sorry, not iTunes, Apple released their developer betas. iTunes is, of course, gone. In Catalina, but but iOS thirteen point two, iPad OS thirteen point two, TVOS thirteen point two, and a fourth Watch OS six point one build have been released for testing. That kind of came off the. I went on the beta train very late uh, in the cycle, and then came off it as soon as everything was out properly. So, uh, what am I missing on the betas? What's worth well, risking these, my machine? These builds for? have a few changes, right? There's the ability to opt into anonymized voice recordings of Siri requests submitted for review to improve the virtual assistant's accuracy. So you can opt in to submit your voice recordings for review for accuracy. There are new emoji. There are changes to the camera app, enabling users to change frame rates and resolutions without having to jump to settings. There, mm-hmm. you, you noticed when you pressed and, and long pressed on an app in iOS 13.0 or 13.1 that you would see the apps wiggle and get a context menu saying rearrange apps, right? But there was no option to delete them. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. Okay. okay. Yes. Neither is. It's it's been added. Okay. Um, there's also some code that seems to refer to noise cancellation in a future model of AirPods. I'm afraid to say I quite fancy that. Actually, I can think of many cases where that would be useful. Yeah. Uh, but I, it, it feels like I've only just bought my AirPods two an hour ago. So. <laughs> yep. Listen, uh, Christmas is coming up. Um, I could uh, sell you AirPods two to give to somebody. Yeah, they're British. I don't want them. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think actually audio works the same here as there. I'm not sure, but okay. Hmm. Yeah, but but it means you know, Siri will talk in a British accent. Be not pleasant. Okay, that's that's not unreasonable. I'm kidding. It's completely I'm kidding, reasonable. I'm kidding. But, yeah. All right. Tell me about using dual screens. Well, funny if I am using dual screens right now, and I'm surprised to be doing it because I prefer a single. Uh, large monitor. Oh, well, there's the answer. I've just told myself my own answer. My monitor is actually quite small. Um, so I tried out Sidecar just to see if it would work on my gear, and it did, and I find I rather like it. But now, something else has happened. What's happened? Something What's new. happened? Luna Display, who used to do this. There are a couple of companies that did this uh, before Apple introduced Sidecar and basically Sherlock them. But Luna Display has come out with a way to do exactly this, use an iPad as a second screen or an extension to your desktop. But it doesn't have to be an iPad anymore. It can be another Mac. So I think most of us have older Macs knocking around and they can be quite old. I have, uh, uh, I can't remember how far back it can go. Um, but you can have a Mac running something like Mountain Lion and use it as an extended display uh, for your Catalina Mac. And how well does that work, X. though? Well, uh, seemingly, given that it isn't out in our hands yet, uh, at least as well as uh, Lunar Display used to work before it. And we have used that. We have seen that. And it does work. Well, Apple has certain advantages that make Sidecar better than anyone uh, can make it. But given that uh, difference... Lunar display is really quite impressive. Very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah, you know, I was talking to someone else just not long ago about using a, a Mac and sidecar with their iPad. I like the idea of being able to do this with other things, including, like you said, Mac to Mac. Yes, and what a clever way to do something that Apple hasn't yet. It's uh, And it's also, it seems a bit green. I mean, rather than have my, my old MacBook chucked away in a corner, I can get it out again. Yeah. And it can live, it can breathe. As a screen. Okay. As yeah. a very expensive Probably. display. There you go. Yeah, it's had a lot of use up to now. I've got my value out of it. I'm just getting more now. Good. Well, I'm glad, so, uh, I'm glad you're getting value out of that. I've gotten value out of this conversation. And... Excellent. I hope our listeners have too. If you're out there listening and you got value about this, please let William know. William, where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> you don't want them to say you know. <laughs> uh, I, I am on Twitter as W Gallagher and I am William at AppleInsider.com. And you're going to tell people where they can reach you too, aren't you? Yes, in, in my secret underground lair in the Andes. Okay. But also on Twitter at VMarks and Victor at AppleInsider.com. I am so glad you made time for this, William. I am really appreciative that you were here, and all of you listeners, too. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week. And ending with what? Oh, come on.